Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Christopher Green, OBE, the founder and president of White Ribbon UK. White Ribbon is the leading charity that is ending male violence against women by engaging with men and boys to make a stand against violence. Their mission is for all men to fulfill the White Ribbon promise to never commit, excuse or remain silent about male violence against women. They act as a catalyst, encouraging people and especially men and boys to individually and collectively take action and change behaviour. Chris has achieved so much in this field. He has been a member of the World Health Organization's Violence Prevention Alliance. He has also been awarded the title Ultimate Man 2007 by Cosmopolitan magazine for his work on anti-violence strategies. He has three times been recognised by invitations to receptions held by the Prime Minister at Number 10 Downing Street and two invitations to the Speaker's House in Parliament. In 2012, he was appointed to the UN Group Leaders of Men to Combat Violence Against Women by Ban Ki-moon, a group of 20 men working to combat violence, which included Archbishop Desmond Tutu and former Spanish Prime Minister Jose Zapatero and author Paolo Coelho. In 2017, New Year's Honours, Chris Green was awarded an OBE by Her Majesty the Queen for Services to Equality. So I am super excited to welcome Chris Green to the show. Welcome, Chris. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks very much. Oh, it's so good to have you. I've been reading through your bio and you have done some absolutely incredible things. So, Chris, please tell my listeners all about the work that you do and White Ribbon. Well, I'm Chris Green and 15, 16 years ago, I was an academic with some spare time at university and I'd seen uh, an organisation called White Ribbon in Canada and thought, hey, they, they're doing interesting work. I didn't want to start a magazine again. I'd, I'd been involved in a men's magazine, which was for changing men, but that had a mass circulation of two and a half thousand. I don't want to spend my time producing a magazine which talks to people who think like me anyway. I wanted to try and develop a mass organisation. And I saw that that's exactly what white ribbon campaigns around the world try and do. So I set up white ribbon in the UK. White Ribbon is about men who want to challenge male violence against women and girls. And it's a really simple message. If you wear a white ribbon, you're making a promise never to commit, never to excuse, and never to remain silent about men's violence against women and girls. And perhaps that last part is as hard as all the others. It's really hard to not to speak out you have to speak out about these things and that's that's a big problem silence it just colludes and excuses the problem of male violence so 
a lot of people find it hard to speak out though, don't they? Because maybe they're friends with somebody that they witness doing it, or maybe they're worried about the repercussions for themselves. So how do men speak out if they are witnessing something or think that something's happening? It's not, for me, it's not about the extremes of violence that we have to intervene. Um, everybody would know to ring the police if they hear shouting and screaming from next door. And that's a reasonable reaction. But when we have to intervene is when people make the sort of snidey remarks, the cat calling or the jokes, which are you, sometimes you think, oh, that's just the, that the acceptable side. No, it isn't. It's not the acceptable side. And you have it's far better for you to say to one of your friends, look, that upset me what you said there. And if you do that, if you're in a group, you'll find that some of the other people will say, I didn't like them talking about that either. And then you change, that's the way we start to change the culture. Yeah, interesting. I think if you can do it with other people around, maybe that does de-intensify it and prevent it from potentially escalating. Um, why do you think it's so important for, for men to speak out about this? It's our responsibility. Men commit 90% of interpersonal violence it's our responsibility because women's organisations have for years saying, actually, get your act together, start doing something about this. We have been trying to stop male violence for centuries. Now men have to involve themselves as well. And the third reason is some men will listen better if they hear the message from men as well as from women. If you hear it from your friends and from your relatives and from your work colleagues, then you might actually start to change your behaviour. And we're not expecting people to change overnight, but just starting to say, mm, OK, we, we noticed that in our work in schools, you know, some survey work in schools. Over a whole year, what a school has noticed is that some of the attitudes of the boys have changed a little bit. And that's all you can hope for. You know, just a little bit of change, a little bit of improvement and that makes the work worthwhile. I think going into schools is an incredible idea. I think there's a lot of good work that can be done in schools because that's when children are learning, isn't it? That's when they're learning what makes the world go round. And, and I guess their, their beliefs are forming, especially up to the age of sort of seven and eight, where they're really sort of working out who they are. And then as they go into puberty and if their role models maybe are giving a different message, it's sometimes good to have an outside person come in and explain right from wrong and that maybe what they've witnessed isn't normal because it's hard for a child to to challenge what they see at home because they'll grow up potentially believing that that is how relationships are that's what it's supposed to be like and that their parents are the role models for their behavior moving forward yeah i mean we have to break the intergenerational cycle of violence and three quarters of a million kids every year see domestic abuse three quarters of a million kids each year so is we that need, in the uk that's in the uk so we need to break that cycle otherwise you're going to have three quarters of a million children who are either going to be victims or perpetrators because they see that in their own home um and so we need work in infant schools in primary schools in secondary schools in colleges and universities I've been surprised to find that in universities, they teach consent. 
only 70% of them teach consent, not 100%. 100% of them teach health and safety when the kids move in to new halls of residence, but not 100% of them teach how boys and young men should behave. And we've seen a lot of this with the new campaign, Everyone's Invited. And that started off with a few hundred uh, testimonies of young women who said, this is what's happened to me. And it's up to tens of thousands now. The last time I looked, it was 15 and a half thousand. And these are mostly school age young women saying, this is what happened to me. And the joy for me was when one young man who just left his school sent a letter to his own old head teacher saying, look, I've seen 150 testimonies of young women saying this happened to them from boys from your school. What are you going to do about it? And they, of course, started to take action. But it shouldn't have had to take that pressure. But still that pressure applied means there's been a result can shine a light on these issues, the more awareness is there and then things can change, hopefully. I mean, when you talk about domestic abuse, Chris, what are you specifically talking about? Are you talking about violence, uh, physical violence, or does that cover more than just the, the physical side? There's all sorts of violences and white ribbon campaigns around all of them, but the difficult ones are to show are the controlling relationships, the ones which go on for years and years and years. And fortunately, that is now illegal in the UK as well, but it's still difficult to prove. So it's far better if it didn't happen in the first place, which is why our campaign is based upon prevention. It's about uh, trying to teach people about relationships of respect, love and equality, because if you live in a relationship like that, then you're not going to get into the abusive relationship at all and whether or not it's physical violence or emotional blackmail it doesn't really matter you know because it's quite easy for a, a guy then to get into a situation oh well i i would hit you if i didn't hit her i didn't hit her but if, if you're scared of potential violence what's the difference I hear a lot of this in my coaching clinic you know people coming out of toxic relationships and maybe not even being aware that they were in a toxic relationship because it was just so normal. It was just part of their everyday life. And those threats or the control was something that they just managed or live with. Now, it does go both ways. We have to say at this point, you know, it is, isn't only women that suffer from controlling men. It can be the other way around. But unfortunately, and as Nasty Page from the Court Said Movement pointed out in her interview with me as well, you know, statistically, it is more females that are suffering from this than men. But it does happen both ways. But, you know, I think with the family court system the way it is, it is so hard to prove coercive control, uh, controlling behaviours. And a lot of the victims of this will have minimised it and normalised it anyway. So coming out of that, sometimes you think, gosh, it's so easy to, to do and accept as part of everyday life. So how do we stop it? How do we make those changes? That's the $64,000 question. Um, I think the big issue is working about uh, how young men start to receive their sex education and how do they receive their relationship and sex education is by talking to their friends and it's by watching porn and that's why i'm 
keen to campaign around that issue as well as sort of the obvious preventing physical violence, preventing coercive control, because it's where young people receive their education that matters. And one session from a good organisation coming into a school is not going to change the balance of that as there's evidence to say that one-off interventions don't work. It has to be ongoing process, which is why people are talking all the time about the whole school approach to uh, relationship and sex education. You know, pornography is something where you know that is so easily accessible now with kids a lot younger than ever in our generation before you know because obviously they've all got mobile phones they've all got contact with the internet you know they got ready access to pornography which again gives them a certain message they're learning that this is what intimate relationships are like this is what happens so yeah, I think it's really important. But I guess they're topics that, especially us Brits, I don't know about well, we've got listeners around the world. I know us Brits, we find it hard to talk about those things, don't we? To you know, the kids find those lessons difficult. I'm sure the teachers. I remember when I was taught at school, my teacher was bright red. We weren't even talking about porn. We were talking about how babies are made. God forbid we ever went there back in my day. But I mean, nowadays, you know, is it easier to talk about? Do Do you think teachers are finding it easier to sort of go in and talk about these things with kids? I was fortunate uh, last week to be involved in a programme with 80 young people from schools, from 10 different schools in the south of England. And it was some of the boys who'd said, we want to hear from some of the women, uh, young women from neighbouring schools about what should be happening. And so there were breakout rooms. It was a Zoom conference, breakout rooms. Uh, One teacher didn't say anything hardly in all the breakout rooms and just listening and I was only in one of those rooms but the quality of the discussion was amazing there. The trouble with that is it's all voluntary so the the young men who are volunteering and saying they want to be involved in that organisation were were doing so and the young women who were taking part again were people who say I want to talk about this, this is an important issue Um, And we're not really uh, uh, reaching out to all, especially the young men who are not really listening. They're just listening to their mates. But it's the start of a process, an important, a hugely good start of the process. And I was embarrassed with how clever they were, how articulate they were. And I was thinking, wow, it's time for me to retire because I'm 50 years older than these people, you know, and there's a, they are the voices which I want to be taking part here. As a parent myself to a boy who's now 12, are there things that parents can be doing that, you know, maybe they need to be giving the message as well? I mean, I know parents can find that difficult and embarrassing at times, but are there ways of getting this across? Are there ways of talking about these topics which the kids aren't going to die of embarrassment and the parents are giving those messages across. Do you think there's some key things that parents can be doing to support this too? I think the the easiest thing is copying behaviour. Yes, as we alluded to before, uh, young boys learn respect from their parents. And if they see us behaving in ways which are respectful to each other in our relationships, that's what they'll learn. If they see people being disrespectful, they'll learn that too. And that's that's the important role model that they have. Of course, 
the other the other role models they have are, are, are celebrities and peer groups and hugely important sources of information as well and as you pointed out celebrities sometimes are, are really bad uh, role models but they can also be really good role models and we've had our share of, of people who've been prepared to wear a white ribbon without any payments because we haven't got any money but you know to have people doing because they say yeah this is an important issue for me you know and they're not all old fudgy duddies some of the people some of the people are cool and, and, and trendy and those are the people we need to have involved yeah and I do think there are a lot more celebrities coming out in support of good causes generally and that are inspiring younger kids and, and generations. And, I, and you know, I think that's really, really good to see. I mean, Marcus Rashford recently, I think, has inspired a whole generation of you know, young people, especially boys, to see what you can do with that kind of reach. So, yeah, I mean, I do think it's really important that those messages are getting out there. Have you seen a rise given the pandemic in these kind of issues escalating or do you think we're getting on top of it and things are starting to change? Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one -one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. Have you seen a rise given the pandemic in these kind of issues escalating or do you think we're getting on top of it and things are starting to change? Unfortunately, the stats show that uh, there is a problem with an increase in all sorts, all the abuses because of people being closer confined with each other. It's not good, but of course, there has been some extra support, not enough to agencies from governments and from individuals saying we need to support these organisations more, but it's been paltry compared to the increase in the problem and paltry compared to the cost of the issues as well. If we look at the costs of violence against women, it's billions of pounds because if you look at the cost of the health service, the cost of the extra policing, the costs of lost employment, the, it just goes on and on and on. And if, if we can eliminate those costs by an investment, everybody would be happier yeah so it is it is i think getting worse and as we come out of the pandemic as people can go out more there are also some some good useful things like the train system has said okay if you need to leave a violent relationship you can just get on a train and we won't charge you a, a train fare uh, it's symbolic but it's supportive yeah 
No, exactly. Those things are really important. And I think one of the good things to come out of the pandemic, and we have to try and look at the good things, don't we? I think one of the good things is that it has put domestic abuse on the front page and headline news pretty much every single day which it wasn't before, you know, as the patron of the Dash charity, you know, often it was the the children's charities, which obviously rightly so, you know, were the ones that people were going to and, and you know, they felt a lot of synergy and empathy for, but things like domestic abuse had a real stigma around, which I think it has been broken down during the pandemic as people realise that it's probably more widespread than they ever thought or ever believed or ever wanted to see and that it happens to everyone and anyone you don't have to be a certain type of person or you know it doesn't have to be a certain uh, class bracket in society it can happen to anyone anywhere at any time and I think that's really taken the blinkers off for a lot of people and raised awareness on on those sort of issues I have seen recently I don't know if you've seen this a rise in online abuse because I guess you can hide behind your keyboard, right? I think they call them keyboard warriors. But I suppose with children having mobile phones and with everybody being on the internet, you kind of hide behind a profile potentially and bully, intimidate, abuse somebody. Have you seen a rise in that with your work, Chris? Something like seven or eight years ago, there was a, a play on at just off the West End in London and it was about revenge porn. And that was sort of a bit of an eye opener to me. But this is seven years ago, you know, but of course it's been a massive increase since then. And the young people who I was referring to before who were chatting about this were talking about it at, at huge length and using phrases which I can't remember the, the phrases they, they were using, but they were just saying, yeah, the, the use of terminology of revenge porn images is just so transparent so ubiquitous that people are using it all the time and just oh and can you explain to my listeners what revenge porn is chris unfortunately people say oh yeah just send me a picture of a particular part of your anatomy you know and, and people do and there's the relationship breaks up and so your ex has pictures of your various parts of your body which they then say oh yeah well uh, unless you stay with me i'm going to send them all to to all my mates and they do that you could say yeah, there's fault on everyone's side there don't send dick pics in the first place or um general pics what what's, what's that about anyway i think it's, all, <laughs> it's a different uh, generation to us no, it's very very <laughs> strange but having done that you're a hostage to fortune, but having done that, of course, people should not respond by sending them to their friends and now illegal. But I mean, the trouble with that is actually going through all the processes of prosecution. And for everyone that is prosecuted, there'll be more than 99, 999 times when it happens and is not prosecuted. And so we just have to tell people, actually, don't do it. It's revenge like that is, is just so cheap and nasty and inappropriate and it doesn't make you any friends you know so don't do it i think it's again about raising awareness for at a young age to say you know this could be used against you because you may not understand that you may think well you know mm. this person's great we're getting on really well i don't maybe you don't feel comfortable about doing it even but you do it because you want to stay in favor with sure. that person 
And then it comes back to bite you later on. But you're naive at the time. I'm also reluctant to blame the victim by saying it's sort of it's the young woman's fault for sending out the pictures in the first place. I I don't understand. The, The guy shouldn't be asking for it because potentially what you do with photos of people, you know, but then they shouldn't be asking. That's what you have to teach. Yeah, shouldn't be asking, but I think it's awareness on both sides, you know, and and what to do. So everyone has to take responsibility in some way, I guess. You know, I mean, domestic abuse, it's never your fault if you've been a victim of abuse. But I think it's this education and raising awareness, which then enables you to potentially spot it. And I think that's what we want on both sides. We want women and men to be aware of what abuse is so that they either choose not to do it. Because it can be men and women, too. It could be women asking for the pictures, too. Sure, but, you too. know, it could be both ways. And, you know, I guess it's it works to increase awareness so that you then have more understanding of what you're getting yourself into before you're into that. And the potential repercussions And also, again, you know, about drawing a line of what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable behaviour, you know, and what the law is now and and why it's there and why it protects people and and the reasons for this. I think all this can only be good to increase the awareness. It doesn't help when you watch Naked Attraction on the telly, which I don't tend to do, but I tend to, (laughs) I've seen seen it once or twice, I just think, oh, goodness I always wonder who goes on these shows. I mean, I'm going to go to work the next day. I often say, I don't know if you guys have seen the show, by the way, people listening. It's called Naked Attraction. It's a, it's a British television show at the moment where you, you where people are naked and you are choosing who you date from their bodies. And you basically see them naked and decide who you want to, to date. And the last thing you see is their face. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting way of choosing a partner. But yeah. Let alone asking them any questions about their opinions or their attitudes and stuff like this you know what you know. yeah one of those tv shows where they often say oh you know um i don't know john is an it consultant from london and jane is a marketing <laughs> a consultant from wherever and you think are they gonna go to work on monday <laughs> i don't know uh, but anyway each to their own i suppose each to their own something for everyone out there but it is i guess the message is a little bit sending out a message that judging someone on their physical appearance is a way of selecting a partner is is yeah. a little bit flawed shall we say <laughs> <laughs> this one my son always goes I, that show is unbelievable and runs out the room so yeah Good. it is That's actually, you're, you're doing something right <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so i mean this is a really interesting conversation and i could talk to you for a long time about it how do people find out more about the work you're doing on white ribbon uk that's always easy. Just look at whiteribbon.org.uk or Google White Ribbon. I mean, just just find out some of the things which we're doing. And this, there's an awful lot going on. Uh, but the joy about White Ribbon is it's run by the people who are active in the communities. And that's the only way we're going to make changes. It's not going to make change with half a dozen people in an office somewhere. It makes change by the fact that people are out there saying, yes, we're going to have a stall on our high street. And I love going to gigs like that because you just then you can interact with people and talk to people about their opinions. And that's and or I'm going to run something in my workplace because that's really important. And what you find is that workplace have this huge multiplier effect. They they say, OK, we're going to we, we're going to affect the 20,000 people who work here. That's what you want. 
Yeah, absolutely. Getting that message out, raising awareness and also, you know, getting to the kids when they're young at school. Do you find that men are open to this? And when you bring it up, they are able to admit maybe actually, yes, I do do that sometimes. Or do you think most people are quite defensive about this? Sure. We're all defensive about when we're potentially criticised, which is why we like to get alongside people and talk to them about some of the issues, you know, which is important and also important to start working with people when as young as possible. Uh, we work with primary schools, for example, which is uh, sort of under 11s. And we find they say, yes, we love the materials, uh, but we tailor the message. We have a, a message called these hands are not for hurting because we don't want to go in there straight with a, a message about violence against women and girls. Um, because we don't want to address it on those issues. And so these hands are not for hurting, these hands are for helping. And we have a mascot, which is a big cuddly dog and um, T-shirts and sort of your hand printing kits and easy stuff. So make it easy for people to be engaged. That's why as well, we work with nightclubs, we work with sports teams, uh, we work with employers, we work with trades unions, because we have to work with where people are and where are men. It's really hard. I, I love to go out and give presentations to groups of men. And yet invariably, most of the presentations I give are to groups of women because they're the people who have meetings and who then say, yeah, we want to address this as an issue. And we want to talk about why men should be getting more involved. But of course, it should be the men who do that, which is why I say so much of our campaigning is around getting, um, you know, Yorkshire Cricket Club or um, Leeds Football Club or West Ham or these football clubs to say, yes, we want to do something around these issues, because if we get premiership football clubs and local community teams involved, that that makes a difference. And so we've done quite a lot of work with sports, with football clubs, rugby clubs, ice hockey clubs, cricket clubs, because that's one of the areas where it's important for their corporate social responsibility. They attract a lot of followers and we can make a difference. That's what it's all about, making a difference, isn't it? I mean, you're very humble when you speak, but you have achieved huge amounts globally, helping people around the world with this kind of thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm honoured that you've joined me today. Um, Chris, my last question, which I ask all my guests, is my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to identify what happiness is for you. So if you're coming out of a traumatic experience, maybe you have been a victim of abuse um, and you're dealing with some difficult repercussions from that, identifying what happiness is for you is key. So what is happiness for you? Primroses. <laughs> they, they, they open up after the winter and they're the first flowers I've got loads and loads and loads of them all over my garden all over the hillside behind me and that's really good cycling is another thing i do a lot of and actually slowing down and looking at the flowers watching the birds it's nice i love that i have primroses in my garden too and they make me happy so i agree with you on that well thank you ever so much for joining us today you have been incredible i mean i'm sure that your work is inspiring a lot of people around the world and i hope that it goes from strength to strength so thanks ever so much for joining me today chris and thank you so much for having me it's been a joy cheers that's it for today's episode 
please do head on over to whiteribbon.org.uk to find out more about Chris and his work and to get involved and to support him. And I look forward to you joining me on our next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to Sarah's virtual Heartbreak to Happiness retreat. This is a transformative combination of live webinars with Sarah herself, coupled with her empowering online video program designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com, where you can also get a copy of Sarah's gift. Thank you, and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness. Heartbreak to Happiness.